Hi, everyone. This is Julia Sotis, and you're tuned into a totally different reality. Today, my guest is Christine McCarthy. Uh, she was actually on the show two or three weeks ago. I've never had a repeat guest this fast. But uh, I really, um, Christine has an amazing ability with real estate, and she's been in real estate for, how long have you been in real estate for, Christine? Probably most of my life. I mean, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I just wanted to have her on the show again, and um, this is a very different show than anything I've ever done before. It's just, for me, real estate is a really interesting topic, and I think that it's something that can be a little bit overwhelming for people, and I don't think it has to be that way. I know that real estate is, I'm, you know, I'm still pretty young and in getting into my life and my career, and real estate for me is something that I really want to get into and learn a lot about. So I I thought that Christine would be the person to have on the show for all of us who have, for anybody who has real estate jitters or thinks that it's a, it's a big thing, and um, she's going to give us tips and tools and things about what to look out for and how to do it consciously. So welcome to the show, Christine. Thank you very much, Julia, for having me back. I appreciate it. It's <laughs> great. Um, so let's get started. I I was just talking to Christine before the show, and I was saying, uh, I don't exactly know even where to start asking questions, uh, but maybe you could just talk about the fun that you've had in real estate and why um, it's the career path that you've taken. Okay, cool. So I would say that, you know, there's just certain things about the business that are really fun for me. Um, mm-hmm. And I grew up around it, in it, uh, even without even really knowing I was good at it. So there's a lot you can do with real estate. Um, there's a lot of different products. There's always a really, you know, interesting 8 to 10 to 15 to 20 year cycle involved in real estate. And there's tons of different ways that you can own it, have it, rent it. I mean, there's just a lot of possibilities with real estate that, you know, you can take years to figure out. Um, but I would say that, you know, start with something you know. Start around an area you're familiar with, you know, a place you've lived for a while, um, even where you grew up, and just study the local area and kind of where prices are at, you know, where people are moving, what people are looking for, um, and just start where you know and are comfortable, where you have awarenesses, where you know your way around the streets, where you know which neighborhoods are great, which ones aren't so great. Um, that that would be my first tip, to just start educating yourself on schools and um, like different neighborhoods that are more desirable and figuring out why they are and, you know, what kind of um, demographics there are the median incomes. I mean, there's, you can get so, you can, you can delve into a lot of information about real estate or you can just go, oh, uh, that house. <laughs> I mean, it just depends right. on where, where you function from, like where your capabilities and talents are. For me, I don't look at a lot of data. Um, I mean, I would look at some of it, obviously, but I don't, I don't, I don't, go over the numbers to ad nauseum. I'm more of what can we, do here that somebody else would enjoy and make some money. Cool. Um, it, I I just have to tell this story. I, it's one place that I also want to start. Um, 
Uh, with mm-hmm. mortgages and how to kind of start out with your first house, your first property, your first investment, and kind of what that looks like. But I have a funny story. I was interested in this, and I'm 23, so I don't, you know, I've I've rented for the last five years since I moved out of my parents at 18, and I have been looking at different ways to get into the market, and I thought maybe a house trailer, maybe a house trailer would be a good idea because they're not too expensive and uh, you don't have to pay the same property taxes, although if it's on a lot, you know, in a trailer park, then you do. Um, But I thought maybe even in my hometown, which has 700 people, uh, I have some friends who actually, well, like high school friends who still live with their parents and they don't have they want to actually just get their own house in town they've got their careers within the town they haven't left and they need somewhere to live and there's a couple people like this there's absolutely no rentals whatsoever in the town of 700 people at all and um and so i was like okay so i'm gonna go and i'm gonna learn about mortgages because my parents have been trying to tell me just keep renting honey like you don't need to buy yet and i wasn't really listening to them and and I was just like, no, like that's not the way that I want to live. I want to, I want to invest in something. So I go to the, to the bank uh, in my the city that I live in, a couple hours away, and uh, I talked to a mortgage specialist who actually happened to be a guy that we also went to high school with. <laughs> so I and and he I realized that the price of the house with the three point one fixed mortgage, and we did different scenarios and and stuff like that um, is once you're done paying all the interest, it's two to three times the price of the actual house. (laughs) And I was in shock. I was in shock, Christine. I didn't know this. (laughs) So it's like, it's like, I'd like to talk about like, like, because at a certain point you get to like, you can pay cash for the homes that you buy once you build um, your capital and stuff like that. But I just found it so funny, and I actually thought it would be fun if we used my situation looking at buying trailers and stuff and renting them um, as, like, a way to kind of, like, look at different things. But I just thought that was really funny. I was shocked. I, I didn't realize. I thought that you paid maybe, you know, if the house was $250,000, maybe you paid 50000 on top of that, but it's, like, two to three times the, the price yeah. of the house. So that was really that was really interesting for my young eyes and my young brain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's that's a really great you know place to start too because you know once you understand what's really required to finance, um, you kind of have a little bit of reality check on okay, well, if I had a bigger down payment, would that be would that be better because then I'd pay have less of a principal and interest to pay. So it's a choice in terms of you know, what you have, what you will have in the future and what you can, what what value you can add to your portfolio that, that kind of are a lot of variables that, you know, you just kind of pick where you're comfortable, like what would work for you? Like, would you stress out at, about having a lower amount of money in your bank account or would a bigger payment every month be more more of a, a moment in your world where you're like, oh my God, right. I have to pay, you know, $2,000 a month. Like, wow, that's a lot of money. Or are you willing to put down, you know, 20, 30%? You have to put 20 down, but would you be willing to put 30 down? And what would that look like? And so it's it's a finesse. And then you also have to factor in the things that you 
will need to put into your house that right. you're not you that you're not even aware of. Like, well, in five years from now, I might need a new roof, or you know, just something always kind of comes along. So it's just really sitting down and getting getting everything that you can possibly think of in line, so that you know, okay, this is what it's going to be required of me. This is what I need to generate and create in order to continue growing and my business and my portfolio. So it's 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 really awesome. Yeah, it it's exciting too. It's really exciting. So I mean it's also the the thing too where you have to sit down and say, okay, this is where I spend my money. I go out, shop, you know, I take classes, I travel. So you have to kind of, you know, they like in California, that's where I grew up. So everyone for the most part not necessarily the average person, I should say, is house poor in California. Like the majority of probably two incomes goes to paying your mortgage. And so it's a lifestyle decision as well. So, and, you know, if you're partnered up, if you have an investment partner, if you have a domestic partner, then you're talking about money and commingling funds and all that, which is always interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the tax so would, of any relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I would say, too, like some of the advice that I've gotten from a couple of family or family, um, good, really good family friends who are in the Forbes 500 every year and have an incredibly, insanely successful business, probably beyond their wildest dreams. You know, they always said to me, just pay your debt down. Pay it off, pay off your buildings, pay everything off because then you have control because you're never in a position where you're desperate for somebody A, to buy it, B, to refinance, or C, to rent it so that you can have that that space in your world where, oh, okay, well, if for two years we don't have a tenant, we still own it. I mean, we're going right. to lose money on it, but we're not at the point where you have to have a fire sale or any of that stuff. And I... Most people don't function that way. But that's where you truly begin to create a future with your money is by making those choices. Okay, can you can you kind of give an example or explain that like um just explain that's a really good point and I have not really looked at things like that before. So most people I would I'm just generalizing everything. So for everyone this doesn't apply to, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the it's every day you think okay I've got to pay for this I have my credit card bills I have my monthly rent I have my car payment I have my entertainment expenses like you're always thinking about the moment the next week 30 days from now but when have you ever truly planned 12 18 24 36 48 you know 60 months in advance. Right. Most people don't want to know. I get what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, most people don't want to know, wow, in order for me to be where I really want to be and the things that, the targets you have to, you know, pay down your debt, to acquire more properties, to create more in your life, you have to think 5, 10, 15 years in advance because some of these investments won't pay off right away. I mean, real estate is most times, unless you're in very niche markets and you are ahead of the ball, which hopefully 
you will be, you know, you're looking at two to five to 10 to 15 years of really building your wealth. And that, that requires you to treat and be with your money every day and create a future for you together. Right. It's kind of like the 10% account. Mm-hmm. It's like the resistance at first. And then once you do it for a while, it's like, oh, there's a huge amount of money just sitting there waiting for me. And yeah. It's and it's pretty, fun. It's empowering. Yeah, it is. It's fun. And and the fact that you will never, ever, ever spend it is is really kind of amazing, too. And incredibly incredibly rare in the world and different and 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 that's very sounds very similar to what you're describing right now is having homes that are paid off and and like you said like most people live expecting to be paying off their mortgage till their death and <laughs> like what if you didn't set things up that way what if you really you know worked on paying it off quickly yeah when you're alive <laughs> and yeah. you can enjoy it. Yeah. It's true. I mean, every, you know, your retirement account, your mortgage, I mean, they are at a certain point that, you know, 20, 30 years. Like, that's a long span of time. And so you're, you're, you are kind of planning for never really to be out of debt. And this reality values good, because I, I have great credit, but I don't have phenomenal credit because I haven't had a lot of debt. I haven't had good debt. Well, now do, but, you know, it hurt me. I was like, but I have all this money in the bank. And they're like, we don't care. And I was like, but I can pay my bills, and I do every month. Like, I, that's like, they're like, yeah, well, you don't have good debt. And I was like, what? <laughs> that is crazy. And they're like, no, we don't care. And I'm like, so you're going to loan money to somebody sitting next to me that has $10,000 in the bank, and I have a hundred, and you're going to give them a better rate than me. And they're like, yeah. And I go, okay, that's nuts. I can pay all right for this car. Completely insane. <laughs> and you don't learn these things until you're in front of somebody who is telling you, like, oh no, well you haven't had huge amounts of debt. You've had credit card bills, and I never had a car payment. I didn't have a house payment, and it was just like oh, yeah, well, your credit score should be higher. And I'm like, oh, my God. So anyway, that was funny. But um, those are just the things that you – it really helps, like you said, to go talk to mortgage people, to meet with your bankers, to really understand what they value and to deliver that so that you can get what you want. (laughs) Right. That's so true. Um, I was recently watching this documentary – called the ascent of money it's a it's a five-part right. series yeah you've seen it yeah it's mm-hmm. a five-part series bbc documentary for those of you don't who don't know and you can actually find it right on youtube if you just type in the ascent of money into youtube it's right on there and there's the and christine knows this there's this part in the i've just watched the first episode so far and they go to Somewhere in Tennessee, is it Tennessee? Michigan? No, Mississippi. Now I can't remember the name of the. It's a city in Mississippi or Tennessee. I can't think of which. But anyways, it was the. It's Memphis. It's Memphis. Um, it's the debt capital of the United States, and they sell 500 cars at repo every single week, 
um, a lot of people who have their cars repossessed have three, four cars, um, and the whole system is com- the whole city, by the sound of it, is completely based on living from debt. And I just found that fascinating. It's not expected that you have the money to pay for something. It's just expected that you have what have it and just deal with the bankruptcy later. <laughs> It's really, it's really like from a non-judgmental perspective, it's incredible what. I mean, that's just how we've so changed lack. The, the financial situation. Like it, how that's even possible. It's bizarre to me. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because you will, as you you know, are out in the world and you work with different people and you you come across different things and you do different deals, you really start to see where. Um, where people really function from like there's just people that like like you okay this is so funny but I'm going to say it but you like if you watch the real housewives of New York okay I happen to really like that show (laughs) and and I and it's funny because I looked at the net worth of every single one of those women two of which are relatively you know high and then some of those women act like they have a good billion dollars. They've got $3 million to their name, which in New York doesn't go very far. So it's funny where, you know, people do the image and persona, and then there's just people that have money, and you don't ever hear them ever talk about it. Right. And, yeah, so, I mean, it's just funny. It just depends on so many things, like where you grew up where your where your parents function from with money, where all your neighbors and people you went to school with, because you just pick up on all of that stuff and then you're like you start, you know, becoming it and then you get you go and meet like when I went to high school I was like, Oh my God, finally I can hang around some people that have some money and I started going over to people's houses and they had, you know, thirty cars and a plane and I was like Thirty? Oh this is awesome. Well, yeah, probably more than that. But it was like, it, you know, and their houses were fifteen, twenty thousand 20,000 square feet. I mean, one of my girlfriend's mom used to go to Neiman Marcus every year, and they would fly her or wherever she wanted to go every year because she spent so much money with them. And I was like, wow, this is cool. But, like, that wasn't my reality with my parents. I mean, it was just, it's just interesting. And you'll find that in business, too. And getting back to real estate, you know, if you're interested in doing something uh, with it, you go and you meet and you call the people that are really successful in it and you take them to lunch and you ask them questions like, how did you start? You know, what are some of the hardest lessons you've learned? You know, what are the things you would recommend I start to do? Um, you know, just whatever comes to mind. And, and they will tell you. They're very happy. Most people are very happy to share and talk about themselves. So you can find out, you can get an advanced MBA that way without going to school and learning, you know, real estate finance and all that stuff. And if that's for you, cool. It didn't work for me. And that's how you build a network. That's how you hear about deals. Because real estate is very people-based. Like, totally. you've got so many people involved in a deal. You know, you've got a lot of people you interact with and... You can do commercial deals, you can do residential deals, you can do land deals, you can do, you know, foreclosures and REOs, you can you can be a mortgage broker. I mean, it it's a very 
diverse industry to get involved in and you just have to figure out like wow what's really fun for me to do like what do I enjoy do you want to be a landlord do you want to just buy property and flip it do you want to buy it you know do a little cosmetic and rent it out I mean so there's tons and tons and tons of things you can do Mm -hmm. that's neat it is such a people thing my my grandma and grandpa and my aunt and uncle all four were real estate agents and and uh, you really, really have to like people to be a real estate agent anyways. It's it's very, very social. So Yeah. It's yeah. true. Yeah. So what what do you do then? What are your things? What's your niche? What's your specialty? Well, I started out doing commercial uh leasing and some sales and primarily leasing. That's fun because that's more of a like an eight to five job where you're right. dealing with, you know, CEOs and CFOs. So it's a, kind of a higher level, I would say, if you're going to tier um, in terms of having to be really savvy with numbers and finance and, you know, you're speaking to really high level executives. I, I enjoyed that. Um, and I think there's a, you know, being a woman, um, I had a very nice advantage um, because more people were interested. I mean, I wasn't a dime a dozen, you know. A lot of people were interested in going out to lunch and doing different things. So I, I took advantage of that. I worked on um, I worked on the landlord side. I worked on the tenant side. So I got to see all avenues of the business. And um, if you are really good at what you do and you're smart and you're diligent, and you're honest, you can make a lot of money doing commercial real estate. And then from there, I went to, um, I did a little so bit of this, property. Was this in Silicon Valley? Yes, I started there. Okay. And um, from there, I moved to Chicago, and I worked very briefly for a privately owned company that I loved, but the, pro- the actual position I had doing property management was not fun for me, so I only lasted about nine months. Because I liked doing deals, I liked I liked working on a project, you know, building it out, showing people it, closing the, the lease deal, doing the negotiations, and moving on. So I I love that. I'm, I call myself a little bit of a deal junkie. And yeah. then, um So that was fun because there's a lot of velocity, and there you're always interfacing, like I said again, with different people, which for me is is fun. And then from that, I went on to the corporate side to manage a couple really big accounts. And that was fine. I mean, it was a, a little bit more of a steady income, and so that what was does that okay. Mean, manage some big accounts? So you can work. Uh, a lot of companies uh, started started bringing, like, account managers and brokers that would, like, for example, one of my really good friends in Silicon Valley, works on Google. So like you're a team member at a firm and they do all their real estate funnels through you. So if they have a portfolio of like, say, Google probably has, let's say, 10 million square feet all over the country, not even international, but say just domestic. So you're responsible for overseeing every single deal they do, every lease renewal, every new deal, every 
acquisition, disposition, and you can make a lot of money doing that. I mean, Google is an, a prime example. And wow. so I did a little bit of that, and you can you travel. I mean, it's just a different. It's different because you're not out canvassing and prospecting new clients. So you are. Um, you are. Um, you you have like a, a little bit more of a steady income, but you typically sign three to five year deals. So come year four, your contract, you're you're up negotiating again, and so it's not as it's not as you kind of get a little pigeonholed sometimes. So you just I don't know, it just depends on what you like to do. So that's another avenue you can do. Hmm. And then and then after the commercial stuff, I got a little bit more interested in the residential. Um, but that's more weekend work. So it just depends on, you know, right. kind of where you want to spend your time and do you want right. to deal with, you know, somebody that's emotional and buying a home and they can't make <laughs> a decision. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I so, actually would love that. I would thrive off of that, selling people their yeah. homes. Yeah. And then at the other end of the spectrum, there's really great clients. I mean, you have great clients. And you have ones that are a little bit more challenging no matter where you work or what you do. My grandma and grandpa were farm real, like they specialized in farms. They only sold farms. And I mean, if there was a house on the farm, but, and they, gosh, my grandma's 78. She still sells farms and does her licensing and her testing every year. And, uh, and it's just, it's just, it's just amazing to see how vast real estate is because I mean we all have homes we all have businesses or working businesses it affects our life it will always be there and it's just to think like from my grandma at 78 selling farms to you know you in Chicago and and you know dealing with these huge companies and it's just such a vast um, thing and there's just so many like you just pick what you'd like like I would love to help emotional you know wives sell their or buy or sell their family homes and and pregnant couples and things like that and and there's just so many different it's just I never really thought of it in terms of like this big fun arena that you you can kind of look at what actually works for you and that it's not just I'm a real estate agent there really is something for everyone and it's it's just really diverse yeah and I think that's you know what most people don't realize is that no. there's, there's most people think realtor oh you sell home it's like no there's you know even on the you know and if you get into these big companies like T.D. Richard Ellis and Jones Lang LaSalle and they're big commercial very very highly recognized name brands publicly traded companies you can do a ton of different things under their umbrella you can do investment you can do property management, you can do leasing, you can do sales. I mean, you can pretty much get in there and find your way. You can be an analyst, you can be an assistant. So there's just a lot of different different ways in which you can become immersed in it. And what's it's constantly an, changing. Yeah, what's an analyst? Like what kind of analyst are you talking there? So there's different types. So the first one would be like a data analysts because there's so much information out there like you know I have a building and I want to sell it 
and I need it listed with somebody and I need it in the system. So somebody at the company needs to put, you know, landlord Christine McCarthy selling her 10,000 square foot building for $2 million and these are the specs on it. So it's there's a lot of data entry like if I have a client and I want to show them space, I need to figure out what's available. And so you have people in the company that are constantly updating things. That's one okay. area. Okay. The other area would be the financial end of it, like the analysts that do all the hard number crunching, like, okay, I have a client XYZ, and they want to do a five-year lease. But the landlord comes back and says, we can do a five-year at this rate, or we can do a seven-year at this rate, or we can do a 10-year at this rate. Well, somebody's got to be able to break that down and right. be able to, to do those kind of things. So. So there's the finance and then there's the data entry analysts, I would say, are the, probably the two most common. Oh, okay. Yeah. Boy, I never even considered something like that. But somebody's got to do it. <laughs> and there's people that love it. Like, oh, totally. They don't want to interface with the client. They think that's boring. And I don't want to sit in front of a computer all day. So. Right. That's really neat. Yeah. Um, okay. And you were you were saying something about just the... We were talking about how diverse it all is. You, you were going in a really good tangent. I stopped you because I wanted to know what type of analysts there were. Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot. You know, you can, like, primarily my family's been on the sale and development end of the business where, fortunately, we owned a bunch of land and people came to us, which is a really nice position to be in. So did and your dad sell, because you guys were in Silicon Valley, did your dad sell off some of his land? Like, was, what was it called, Palo Alto, before it was Silicon Valley? No, this, um, no, it was just called the Bay Area, and now it's considered Silicon Valley. Um, okay. It includes, actually, a ton of different towns underneath that umbrella. Um, we happen to be fifth-generation Californians, so my dad's family had a farm, forever and my dad inherited it and farmed it for a very long time and then all of a sudden people were like hey we want to buy your land and he was like okay what does that mean (laughs) and he always kind of he did a really good job of playing like the dumb farmer but he wasn't dumb and uh, so people just came forward and you know said I'd like to buy everything I'd like to buy a chunk I'd like to buy this and then he got involved in doing that and slowly over time phased out of farming just because the money in real estate was exponentially, you know, greater and he just got kind of bored. So and, did, he, um, did he rent or did he, do you guys still own a lot of that farmland? We own some of, we, yeah, we still have a chunk of it. We sold the majority of it and then we own some of the retail on it. So what's some of the retail? Like you have... Like, I don't, we own a right. Taco Bell and a McDonald's that pays us, you know, say $500,000 a year in rent. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Or, you know, we have a, we own a hotel. Um, we own, you know, just different things. So a lot of times, too, the advantage of being the landowner is you can pay to have the signage put up on your property, and then you just rent it out. So there's different revenue streams you can create from the land. Like you can do land leases where, you know, typically like a Chevron would come to you and say, 
we want a 50-year land lease here, and we'll we'll build our station, and we'll just pay you, you know, a monthly or annual land fee. Land fee. And a lot of people do that just because it's great income, and then a lot mm -hmm. of people don't do it because environmentally you're just never sure without having control of it what you might have to mitigate and clean up after they're gone. So, right. so again, for somewhere, another, So for, um, say, like you guys have a Taco Bell and a McDonald's on, on the land, you guys, you don't own, or in the hotel, like you don't own that, but you, or you do own that, or, but you get no, like, we own the land. of profit. Um, a lot of, I don't know if we, you know, I haven't seen those leases. Um, I know we just renewed them, but uh, the, I don't think we get a percentage of sales on that kind of stuff, but you could in bigger box retail, like, or um, different, like, not freestanding restaurants, but kind of, you know, if you have a six-tenant sort of, like, just a, you know, box strip center where you have a yeah. Chipotle and you have you know, dry cleaners and you have a Verizon and then their retail leases are different than than commercial, uh, just straight office stuff because you can write in percentage of sales. So that just depends on the business, you know, the landlord and, you know, what the tenant is really willing to do above and beyond a certain, you know, say half a million dollars in sales and they start paying you additional money. So right. But yeah, that is very typical. So that's a great question. Okay. Yeah, but the land the land piece is interesting. The the only difference between owning land and not owning land is your property taxes. So, you know, at a lot of times if your land is raw and you're just paying say you own a hundred acres and you're paying, you know, four hundred thousand dollars a year in property taxes, you have to you have to take that into account. Like, am I generating enough money? in other businesses or renting the land out or building building revenue streams to really kind of cover that. Right. So, wait, 100 acres could have – that's the kind of taxes that are paid off in that area? Oh, that's low. Yeah. Oh, that's so fascinating. Depends on your cost yeah, I mean, basis. Because, I mean, we're in one of the, the least known provinces in Canada here, so it's just such a different game. It's just fascinating to see the kind of the statistics. Yeah, I mean, you typically say if you bought 100 acres for a million dollars, you're paying, you know, 1% of a million dollars, a little over 1% a year in property taxes. Is that how it usually works? Is about 1%? Mm-hmm. In California, yes. Okay. Interesting. So the advantage we had is that, you know, the cost basis for us on our land was like nothing. So... You know, our property taxes, while they are large, in the grand scheme of things, are low compared to the other pieces of land we've sold off for, you know, say $15 million. If yeah. We're not, paying, we're not paying that. So that's the advantage you can have as a landowner, too, when people come to you and say, hey, we want to buy a piece of land. We want you to build the building and for you to own the building, and then we'll pay you rent. I mean, those are slam-dunk deals left and right in the Silicon Valley. I mean, people are making a uh, fortune. Wow. Doing things like that. Okay, so repeat that. So so somebody, let's say it's your dad, and let's say that um, Chipotle comes, or no, no, something bigger. Let's say Costco comes and wants to build a Costco. So he'll, they'll, Costco will come to your, your family and say, we want to build a Costco. They'll pay to put up the building and pay the rent? Um, typically... 
No, not necessarily. It just depends okay, so on the deal. Like with a builder suit, you would throw. It just depends. I think sometimes you can have them buy the land and you put the building up and then they pay your rent. Or you have you include the rent or the land in the deal and then you you have them build the Costco and then they pay you rent. So it's just different. Like okay. Just depends on every company and every like client has a different idea on how they want to do something. So right. you know, a lot of times people just want to sell and get out. They don't care. They don't want right. to have to deal with anyone. So right. But there's always because depending on different companies, on what their tax strategy is and their what kind of corporate write-offs they get, the kind of dictates their real estate choices. So those are really great questions when you're meeting with people to really ask them because if you're submitting all these properties to them, then in the long run, you know, the CFO and the accountant are going to look at this and say, this makes no sense. So, you know, a lot of the business is, is again, living in the question and really, really getting a lot of information from your clients so that you can, you can make these deals, you know, easily and, seamlessly with people so right hmm. such a such an interesting interesting world so what other kind of tips do you have for us um i loved your first one about kind of looking in a familiar area and 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 you know looking at schools looking at, at prices looking at different things and educating yourself and sitting down with somebody who's in real estate and learning from them those are awesome awesome tips um, so what else, what else? Um, I would say, you know, just watch where people, where the growth is spreading. Like, for example, um, one of our, another good really family friends, his partner would study aerial maps and watch how the population was wow. spreading and growing. And he wow. would buy land ahead of the growth. So, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And that's smart. I mean, a lot of people don't don't do that. And you also want to be really aware locally, politically, where the infrastructure is going. Where are where's the where are the interchanges being put in? Where are schools being built? Um, where are companies moving to? Because a lot of things that dictate residential and commercial like locations are where the CEO and the CFOs live. Like, they don't want to drive an hour to work. Their employees can do that. They don't want to. They value their time, and they're like, no, if I drive more than a half an hour, I'm not doing it. So those are the things that, you know, you look at the areas around Palo Alto or you look at um, Mountain View. I mean, those are all really desirable, both commercially and residentially, because so many people, so many businesses are headquartered there and they have a lot of money, and they're willing to pay to not have to drive very far. Like, those are all right. really smart things to consider when you're so making the, purchases. So suburbs can become commercial as well really quickly. I mean, yeah, a I suburb mean, does, but I mean, like, even, sorry, not commercial. Obviously, there needs to be stores and stuff, but it can even become, like, a business center. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and look at the density, too, like, how how many, you know, can you go up? Can How much can they really pack in in a neighborhood and then figure out if, 
you know, you buy 10 miles out, is it going to take 25 years for that to finally go because mm-hmm. they can go up, you know, so they can just get really dense and they're not going to want to go. They're going to go five miles out and that's going to be it. Right. So there's just a lot of things that you would want to pay attention to. Right. And, yeah, talk about awareness. <laughs> yeah, right. So awareness in, in practice for sure. Yeah, and they're, um, you know, primarily from the Silicon Valley too, like there's a very large Indian and Asian population there now. So they move into certain neighborhoods that have really high-ranked schools, public schools. So you want to, you know, like I said before, you want to really really look at the private and public schools there because that, that can grossly affect your home value. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, wow. I really, really like the tip of um, looking at an aerial map to see where things are going to go. That's really neat. That's kind of like yeah. a godly awareness, like <laughs> where are the where are the humans moving? What are they doing? And how can I take advantage of that? That's really cool. Yeah, and the other, you know, the other side to that, you know, is really honing in and you know getting getting clear on your uh, negotiation skills because yeah. you know a lot of I would say ninety five percent of how much what determines how much money you make in the market is where you buy and everyone always says buy how buy low sell high yeah okay well in a perfect world <laughs> yeah that's awesome but it doesn't Great always advice. happen that way <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's way more fun if you do and so you know don't take every deal don't buy it on everything really check in and think okay you know what will my life be like in five years if I choose this and go from there right do you have any advice for me specifically on my, you know, buying a small um, house or house trailer in my town and renting it to people? Yes, get your real estate license and start doing it. Oh, <laughs> I was thinking about it, Christine. I, I wouldn't think about it. I would just do it. Okay, because I, I said that and my sister like was like, Julia, you want to do everything. You want to be everything. And I'm like, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. And my mom was like... <laughs> And I mean, it's a good idea. I come from a family of real estate agents. My dad's really, really intelligent financially. And um, and then the other side of the family is the real estate agents. So there's a lot of advice there and a lot to, you know. And I, I mean, the area that I live in, it's a town of 50,000. And then an hour and a half away is where I grew up. And I totally understand. Like, I, I don't totally understand it, but I have a huge awareness of what's going on, the different economic factors, things like that. It's like, why not take advantage of it? Yeah, and, you know, you have an advantage in your age group, too, because, you know, we've seen it here in Chicago. It's like people aren't buying. The older generation is buying, and it's taking advantage of, you know, these, you know, historically low interest rates. But um, right. the majority of, you know, 20-year-olds are renting and they want to have more experiences and they don't need a big house. They don't, you know, yeah. they they don't want to deal with having a house. They don't want to have to maintain it. They just want to have fun. So, you know, if you understand, which as you do, what people are looking for in your age range, deliver it to them and, right. you know, take advantage of that. Right. Because I'm sure it'd be really cute. <laughs> you have the best looking trailer in the whole area. <laughs> That's true. 
<laughs> I really wouldn't mind having my space on park benches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, anything's possible, right? <laughs> um, so what does it take to get your real estate license? Well, it's different in every town. Um, yeah. So for me, you typically you have to buy a bunch of books, and then you register at a real, your local real estate school. You can go, obviously, during the day or at night. Um, so they, they're really flexible that way. And then you just have to do a certain amount of hours in a classroom learning the material. Then you have to pass a couple tests. And then you take the state exam, and then you pay a fee, and you get your license. And then, depending upon where you are, you just have to keep up with continuing education and paying your your license fee and hanging your license somewhere. So it's really not that complicated. It's just more of a time. It's more of an investment in your time, and Mm -hmm. you have to study the material because you know, half the stuff you're like, what is this? <laughs> right. Well, and it is the kind of, like, it's the kind of education that a lot, like, can do people a lot of good anyways, like, whether you go forward with it or not um, as a career, like, just for your own benefit and your own, you know, just knowledge. Putting yeah, time absolutely. To, so, hmm. I didn't even think of getting my own. Like, I did think of that, but it was just sort of this offhand, ha-ha, Julia wants to do everything. But <laughs> I do Julia have Julia's getting a lot of things. Yes, she is. <laughs> I would highly recommend it. You will not be sorry. Really? Wow, that's really cool. I'm. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. <laughs> sure. Yeah, so cool. Well, we're just about at the end here. Um I'm just going to go over the tips that you talked about and and uh and then you can give us any last kind of tips or things that you think would be helpful. So, you talked about um wow, now my brain's going blank as I'm going to get all official. Um we want to talk to people who are in real estate and see how they did it and what worked for them and Gosh, Christine, I'm losing my tips. Can you can you say the tips okay. again? Stay, you know, start locally. Start where you're familiar with and where right. you're comfortable with and areas you understand. And just try to learn as much about the schools, the the home prices, you know, is it a buyer or seller market? Just educate yourself. And if you're interested in, you know, learning the business, get a job at a real estate firm, run for somebody, assist them, and always work for the people that are dynamic and are really successful because you'll learn so much. Right. Wow, that's and then, awesome. And then figure out, you know, what what interests you. Are you interested in commercial? Are you interested in residential? Are you, you interested in doing land deals? Do you want to do property management? Do you want to learn more about real estate finance? I mean, there's a lot of different, as I mentioned throughout the whole call, so many different areas of real estate that you can specialize in or learn more about or be a jack-of-all-trades. I mean, you can really write your own ticket because you pretty much work for yourself anyway. Right. And how do you pick the firm? You just pick kind of the most well-known firm or what? Well, it just depends. Do you want to work for a big public company? Do you want to work for a smaller private company? There's advantages and disadvantages to both. I mean, what kind of a, a commission split are they offering? Um, what's right. included in all of that. So it's it's kind of the nuts and bolts of 
you know, doing a contract and securing a job, but there's different, you just know. It's like when you walk into the place you're going to rent next or buy, you just know. It's right. That, that, that sense. So. Right. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, this has been a wonderful call. I know I've gotten a lot out of it. And I think that for everybody listening, um, there's just, this is a really, really great call. So, um, and Christine also is beginning to facilitate foundation and level one classes. So we're maybe I'll, you know, be the access facilitator gone real estate and she'll be the real estate agent gone access. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so um, thank you all for listening and uh, it's been a great call and thanks for being here, Christine. Great. Thank you so much, Julie. It was very okay. fun. Awesome. Thanks, okay. everybody. Bye. Bye. The moderator has left the conference.